I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc., all one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today, I have the immense honor of having filmmaker Tyler Chandler, cinematographer Nick Myers, and the centerpiece of the entire film, Adrian. In this film, Adrian shares her story of addiction and the alternative methods through psychotropic drugs that can allow her to heal. This film is really near and dear to my heart as I myself microdose to keep my addiction in line. I think it's really important that everyone check it out. I'm so inspired by this. Here it is. Hey guys, thank you so much. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm three and a half years sober myself, but uh, so I really Amazing. identified with this film and, and, and Adrian, your struggle, and, and I saw myself in you so much, and I had so much identification, and Tyler, I thought you did such a wonderful job encapsulating her, her story and, and you guys all coming together. So, you know, because I can't see you because we're doing this on the phone for the audience listening, can you guys just introduce yourselves? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my name's Adrienne. I am the subject of the film Dose, um, which documents um, my recovery um, using psychedelics. Love it. I'm Tyler Chandler, the director and longtime friend of Adrienne's. And, um, you know, this this whole thing sort of came together serendipitously and we ended up, um, you know, documenting her journey. And here we are. Great. Nick here, Nicholas Myers, and I'm a director of photography and one of the producers on the film. Amazing. So I think, you know, it kind of makes the most sense to kind of just get a little start of like how you guys all know each other and how this kind of conceptualized. Um, yeah, I guess I can start. So um, I've known uh, Tyler for a few years. We've been friends for a number of years. Um, during that time, he's seen me struggle with addiction. I've had periods of sobriety. Um periods where I was not sober and quite depressed and anxious yeah. and um, uh, Tyler will tell you more about his experience but um, he had recently heard about using psychedelics and had done psychedelics himself um, I at the time was going through um, I had relapsed I was going through um, a very difficult dark time and I had also just recently heard about psychedelics um, used therapeutically for mental health and addiction um, so it was quite serendipitous. I was struggling, and um, Tyler had asked me if I had ever um, thought about using psychedelics. Wow. Um, and um, from there, we decided to film my journey um, using psychedelics. That's amazing. And and Nick, uh, how, how did you get involved? Have you and Tyler kind of worked together yeah. for a long time? Well, well, yeah. I mean, Tyler, Tyler was... Um, on my wife's softball team 10 years ago. That's no how way. I met Tyler. And <laughs> That's we so awesome. To, That's like a rom-com. We're going to do a movie together and we're kicking their like, ideas around around about what we might film. And uh, that's how I met Adrienne. And um, right from the beginning that, that I met her, 
I, I became her friend as well. She's a very personable person and everyone, everyone really likes her. And so as you can imagine, watching the film, it was extremely like difficult for Tyler and myself who were, who were Adrienne's friends to, to go through this process where we're concerned for her well-being uh, and uh, not sharing how it was, not not knowing how it was going to pan out, right? Yeah. Like when we when, when this began, she was she was uh, addicted to street drugs and using fentanyl laced heroin every day and at risk of overdose. So it was quite a quite a sort of a life or death situation. Yeah, I, I I've been there myself. Um, you know, Adrian. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of the beautiful things I loved about this film is that you know I think a lot of people that have watched The Wire think like there's a certain type of like heroin user, you know, like and it is a racist kind of type, and everyone expects it. But the one thing that I've learned about addiction in my years is it knows no bank account, no net worth. Like it, it, it hits all forms, and I thought it was very brave of you to share your story. I, I myself have chronicled my story on Instagram, and I've had people reach out, but. You did it in a much braver way than me, and I, I'm just so grateful to you for putting yourself out there and, and allowing yourself to help the next generation of people that are, are struggling right now and, and suffering. And, you know, it, it's people like you that get us through it. Um, yeah, like, uh, I totally agree. Um, addiction does not discriminate. It affects all kinds of people. And, um, you know, I definitely think people have an idea of what a heroin addict looks like or a crystal meth addict. Um, and it uh, seems like it's often um, easy for people to dehumanize and sort of um, disregard people struggling with addiction. They don't realize that um, there are people struggling with addiction all around you. It could be like your doctor, your lawyer, uh, your bus driver, um, your friend, your cousin, like um so many people uh, I've learned from doing this film, so many people are affected by addiction in some way. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's all sorts of people that are affected by this. Um, all humans. Yeah. You know, uh, I think there's this great, you know, I, I know yours, your experience was with heroin and, and other things, but you know, there's a great F Scott Fitzgerald quote that I love that I felt like really, you know, for myself, at least chronicled my experiences. Like it was the quote roughly is, you know, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. And I really do feel like addiction kind of comes in those three, you know, stages of like you're having a little bit of fun, you're overdoing it, and then you've lost all control. Do you feel like that was kind of similar to your experience? Like it, it started off fun. I imagine it did because you wouldn't have done it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, totally. And that's, um, the experience that I, I've talked to a lot of, a lot of people in recovery or in active addiction. And that seems to be the way it goes. It seems like it's fun. Um, and you're having a good time in retrospect. I now know that I was using it as a coping mechanism, but obviously like I had fun and I was enjoying it. And, you know, it's really hard to know that point that you cross that line, um, where you completely lost control. And, um, you know, I, I have, memories of, you know, a time where I was lying in bed and that was the first time I realized that I was in really big trouble. Um, but it, it's, it's just such a sneaky, slow progression. Um, you don't really quite know when you've lost control until it's too late. And, um, it really does feel like some kind of, um, being or demon that has like taken over. And, um, I would always say I felt like something, some like crazy person had just all of a sudden taken over my life and I didn't know who I was anymore. And I just had no control, um, anymore. So, um, I think a lot of people, um, in active addiction or in recovery feel that same way. And, and Nick and Tyler, did you know her before it progressed to the state it did? No. Um, actually Adrienne, the whole time I've known her, which is about seven years now has been, um, you know, like struggling with her sobriety and um it was just a sheer coincidence that this whole thing even happened because when um when she was texting me that day i had had my first experience with psychedelics about three weeks earlier with with uh, psilocybin or yeah my first experience so it was with magic mushrooms and just like a low dose um i i can't remember exactly how much but probably about one or two grams yeah and um, I was quite afraid to even take the mushrooms in the first place because I didn't want to have a bad trip. I didn't want to, like, ruin my evening with my friends or ruin their evening. Totally. If they had the baby All the typical like that. psychedelic and, concerns. 
You didn't want to go to yeah. Narnia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was kind of interesting. Um, but what actually happened was it was a very beautiful and profound experience um, with a few friends. Uh, we had some laughs. I had some, you know, insight and appreciation for life and uh, the world around me that I've never really experienced before. Yeah. And the next day, I wasn't feeling the nasty hangover of, you know, going out and drinking. Or even like so, MDMA sometimes, you know, I know that can be a pretty brutal come down. Yeah. So like, I've never even tried MDMA. I'm extraordinarily naive when it comes to drugs. Um, so yeah, that was my first experience with anything aside from alcohol or um, cannabis. And, um, and then the way it made me feel kind of got me thinking like, wow, that's really interesting because I felt quite good actually the next day. And then it was a few days after that, I saw an article um, that said that magic mushrooms or psilocybin is helpful for depression and mental health. Yeah. And that, that's a headline that normally wouldn't interest me that much. But of course, I clicked on it because I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That makes sense. And then it was two weeks later, Adrienne was in a really low point. And normally I wouldn't respond to somebody by asking, have you ever tried psychedelics to treat your depression? Um, but I feel in a way it, you know, it's like all the stars aligned and I'm, I'm glad that I asked that instead of asking, have you called the helpline? Have you seen a counselor? Have you talked to your parents? And of course she's tried all of these things many, many times and, you know, prescription medications and, yeah. you know, the whole, the whole thing for many years. So yeah, that was, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of a weird, um, weird way to get there and then start doing this. And then of course, you know, we all talked about, well, what if this works? Could there be, uh, an important message that we could share with the world? And so we decided let's, let's film the first time and see what happens. And, and uh, Adrian, you did not have a prior relationship to psychedelics. Um, no, I did not. Um, quite honestly, I was very fearful of them. Yeah. I was using drugs and alcohol as a way to numb out and to escape. Yeah. Um, I was afraid of psychedelics because I think on some level I knew that they were not going to give me that, yeah. um, that if anything, they were going to, um, increase my anxiety and force me to face things, the very things that I was trying to hide from, um, with, uh, drugs and alcohol. So, um, I avoided those, um, and, uh, I didn't have any interest in them until, um, you know, later on, um, until recently, until just before we started filming that I started hearing and seeing articles about, um, psychedelics for, um, uh, substance use. Wow. So, um, and honestly, if I had heard about this years before, I don't know if I would have been as interested, but it was because I felt like I had literally tried um, everything like conventional rehab, doctors, medications. So I was sort of at a point where um, I felt like all my options had been exhausted and I felt quite hopeless yeah. and in despair because I, I worried that I would never get sober and that I, I just couldn't do this. So um, I think it was the perfect time for me um, to hear about this because um, I was I was willing to try anything at that point. Totally. I, I, I know what that's like to just surrender. And Nick, ha have you done psychedelics or did you have any prior relationship? Um, so so just like at a party or, or whatever, I had tried magic mushrooms. Yeah. And uh, everyone's laughing and joking and like making stupid jokes and, and, and saying like, whoa, do you see how trippy that looks? Right. Yeah. And then there's me. I'm kind of in my own thoughts thinking like, wow, this, I'm having some, some sort of breakthroughs and some things that I was trying to figure out some sort of life, life questions and like personal issues. And I worked through them in the space, space of a couple hours. And I just kind of, that stuck with me. And so when I heard about psychedelics being appropriate for mental illness and addiction issues, uh, according to some, you know, some reputable studies that are coming out around a couple of years ago when this, when filming began, I wasn't surprised at all because they, they seemed to provide the person who takes them with some insights and some clarities and some new ways of thinking. But still, you're mentioning earlier about the um, sort of the stigmas around psychedelics and the general fears that yeah. they're going to make you jump out of windows or whatever, right? That was still very much on your mind because when you're dealing with someone's mental health and they're in a very volatile state, yeah. you know, not, uh, you know, sort of hanging on to life by a thin thread, then the, 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 idea the notion of of in, in putting it like a, a very intense drug that's going to put you into a, a totally altered state into the mix is scary so as you saw in the film 
you know, she was afraid of taking psychedelics. We were nervous about her taking psychedelics, but really it just underscores that this was the last option left for her, yeah. right? All other conventional treatments had been, had failed her. And this really underscores how psychedelics need to be available from, through society. If, if they're so effective for many people with their mental illness and addiction uses, why shouldn't they be an option that's available? Why should people have to go to the underground like we did yeah. and, and uh, sort of take these measures and sometimes not the best, like we didn't do it the best way. We did it in kind of a naive, uncontrolled way at times, right? So there's, there's a lesson to be learned. There's many lessons to be learned from watching the film. Yeah, there's so many. And, and I, I did, you know, my family's probably going to be bummed, but I, I myself microdose mushrooms to control my sobriety. And I know for if you say that to anyone that's like, especially in a 12-step program, they look at you like, you know, you, you just shot them. But uh, it, I, I really think they're, you know, I'm curious to talk to you, Adrian, like, you know, did you do traditional 12-step AA, NA meetings, or did you not find those helpful at all? Um, I I have tried many things. Um, you know, I've been to uh, 12-step phase rehab, um, and, you know, I found I've, I've tried different recovery groups, and, you know, the support in those recovery groups is fantastic, and I highly recommend it, but no matter what I tried, um, for me, there was some barrier that I could not overcome. There was something within me um, I could not, um, you know, move past that, and I always seemed to relapse no matter what I tried. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd heard about that having that spiritual experience that was the key to um, recovery, and I, I didn't get that. Like, I really wanted to, but I just could not have that experience. I didn't grow up with any kind of spirituality or religion that was so foreign to me. Um, and um, I can say that through psychedelics, I truly feel like I had that spiritual experience. I needed to have that shift yeah. um, in my thinking within myself. It's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to articulate into words what that means. But I truly believe that psychedelics helped me have that shift. And I continue to do things daily um, for my sobriety and I have to work at it constantly. But I really feel that that was the key for me that, um, you know, psychic change, that spiritual experience. Um, that that's what what helps me. And I imagine the film was was shot some time ago. But if if you don't mind sharing, it's okay if if you don't want to. What, what, how long are you? At, what's your date now? Are you are you three years or? Um, I actually uh, two years on February twenty first. February twenty first was oh the congratulations! Day that I went into yeah, thanks and thanks to you. That's it's amazing. I always love hearing um, stories of people who have recovered. It. It's very inspiring. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I'm curious to talk to all of you guys. You know, I mean, I think, you know, it's so hard that it's such a bummer that we have to revert to the black market. And it's so funny to me that, you know, pharmaceutical companies and then alcohol companies literally chose like the two worst drugs in the world to make them available by a prescription or a 21 year old driver's license. And it's so funny that the things that actually can heal us are the ones that are, you know, classified as, you know, A, B, or C substances, and you can serve time. And we've kind of come around that on marijuana now. I think we're we're pretty close here in the states, at least, to getting to federal legalization. But I I, I really think medical psilocybin is probably going to coup medical marijuana because i think there's much more to be learned from that and i think a lot of people as everyone has mentioned so far are really scared because you know there's the concerns of like oh i could have a bad trip i could i could lose my mind i could do something crazy but especially in controlled amounts and that comes to the word microdosing again they can be really beautiful and insightful and it's kind of like a ghost of yourself comes out and looks at you and and you confront things that you just couldn't do otherwise because of your ego and i think i think there it's such a beautiful thing and and when you did that for the first time did you know right away that like that this could maybe help me or were you kind of like oh my god i just i have way too much awareness right now um, yeah, I mean, the first time I did, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, which you can see in the film, um, that's really what propelled me on this journey because I, you know, psychedelic, the mushrooms were not enough to help me overcome my, um, dependence on opioids, yeah. unfortunately. Um, that's what I was for, but definitely that first mushroom sit 
shifted my perspective. It gave me a little bit of insight. And most importantly, that was the first time in a long time that I felt self-love um, and self-compassion, which I think is really lacking yeah. with a lot of um, addicts. There's a lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot of self-loathing. Yeah. And that was the first time that um, I was able to, um, you know, see what I was doing to myself and feel sad for um, for the way um what for what I was doing to myself and um, truly like have that compassion and self-love. And um, that really gave me hope that first time that I, I knew from that first time that I was on the right path, that this was, this was what I was supposed to do. And, and this was something that could potentially, potentially help me in my recovery. And um, so that it it's propelled me to keep going, even though I knew this was going to be hard. It was scary. It's terrifying. Um, I'm sure, as you know, the prospect of giving up drugs and alcohol, which is yeah. um, was a coping mechanism for me. It's the only way I knew how to live. Yeah. Um, and this and my first mushroom trip really gave me that courage and that confidence um, to know that I was doing the right thing and that I could do this. And, and one of the things that I think was so beautiful about the film is that your mother, you know, stayed with you and supported you throughout this journey, no matter how dark it got. Did, did I understand that correctly from the film or? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I was very lucky. My parents have been very, very supportive of me. Um, you know, this has been, as it is for many families, addiction is a family disease. It's it's hard on everyone. It's hard on friends. It's hard on family. Like they live it with you. Like they go through it with you. Um, and I'm very lucky that my parents never gave up on me. And surprisingly, like I wasn't sure what they would think about this whole process. And I think at the beginning they were a little bit hesitant. They didn't really know anything about psychedelic therapy, but, um, they supported me and, um, yeah, I, I'm so grateful for that. Shout out Adrian's parents for never giving up. And my father did the same for me. So I really, I yeah. really respect them so much. And then uh, you can explain this probably much more elaborately than I can, but there's a substance called, uh, it's from a root in Africa called ibogaine. And that is known to have like, mate, I, I could be wrong in this, but it's like the only known you know, it's a, it's a really intense trip, but the only known thing that a lot of people with severe opiate addiction and other addictions can come out and be cured, not, I don't want to say quickly, but sooner than a conventional rehab would allow. Is that, would you say, did I, did I phrase that correctly? Please correct me. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I don't think that there is a lot of um, research, like there's a lot of clinical trials um, around psilocybin and MDMA, which um, MAPS is um, is running. But um, anecdotally, there's a lot of evidence that um, Ibogaine or Iboga um, is good for um Is there a difference be- between that- those two, I- Iboga and Ibogaine, or is there a difference? Um, there, I, Ibogaine, I think, is um, comes from iboga. I'm actually not the right person to explain it. I'm not no, totally clear. T- no Wouldn't worries at all. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's one, Ibogaine is one of the alkaloids yes. extracted from the root, which is the from the iboga plant. Got it. And I'm sure there's more scientific levels to it. But, uh, you know, there's always Google if someone wants to really research all of that, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, it, so it it's... It specifically works on the opioid receptor and, uh, you know, a number of other um, things in yeah. in the brain and body and uh, helps with the physical withdrawals of opioid addiction. And yeah, that was my experience. It really helped. It really, um, like, I had gone through um, a detox prior to um, Ibogaine or Iboga many times and, you know, um, heroin withdrawals or opioid withdrawals are excruciating. And my experience with Iboga was that it, I had almost no physical withdrawal symptoms and I was on pretty high amounts of um, opioids. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean it was easy. There's still the emotional fallout. Um, you still have to learn to live life sober, which is, yeah. you know, the big challenge. Yeah. Um, but as far as the withdrawals uh, were concerned, they were minimal to uh, nothing. Um, but also they, it also, Iboga provides that, um, you know, spiritual psychic shift um that helped me stay sober and people say that there is a antidepressant component to iboga wow. and i began um and that i felt that to be true i felt like it really gave me that boost um you know the first few months you know free of any substance is challenging yeah. your brain is recalibrating and trying to readjust um to normal levels and um i feel like the iboga 
really helped me with that. And and before we dig into your experience with that, I'm kind of skipping a chapter here. Can you talk about the suboxone methadone, you know, rabbit hole? Because that's what I feel like a lot of doctors and pharmacists send you to when you're suffering from opiate withdrawal or you're trying to get off them. But you, there seems to be a lot of research and studies that they end up just being worse for the individual. Yeah. So, well, I just want to preface this by saying I am all for any kind of harm reduction, um, whatever works for you. And, um, you know, one thing I know about recovery is that you can't recover and have the life that you deserve to have if you've overdosed and died. So I'm all about harm reduction. I agree. However, uh, methadone was not um, not something uh, that worked for me. Um, I found the side effects. Um, to be horrible and also still having to take a substance every day, like having to go to the drugstore every day. Um, my issue with methadone, I mean, people complain about its side effects, but it just seems like that's the only tool in the toolbox. That's the only thing that doctors had to offer me for um, my um, substance dependence. And I just feel like they're are more options. Um, so I personally do not like methadone. Um, I rarely hear anybody that says that they love methadone and that, you know, it made their life so much better. Sometimes um, that is people's experience and that's fine. Like I think it's about finding what works for you. Um, but for me personally, yeah, I, I have a huge issue. And also like the pharmaceutical companies are profiting big time. Yeah. That, these, there was that moment in drugs. the movie, right? Where you, you, you guys, Patrick and Adrian you, and Nick, you called it out that they get kicks, they get kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies. Is that correct? Um, I think that from what I know, and uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but from what I know is that um, individual pharmacies do get funds per um, methadone patient. I mean, it's big business. Um, People are making money off of this. And um, in my personal opinion, um, there are better ways. And I don't feel like, you know, having to take a pretty serious opioid every day for the rest of your life um, is the best option for a lot of people. Totally. Yeah, it's it's Tyler here. Um, I read an article years ago, and it was about the kickbacks that um, doctors were getting in, in the United States. And it was all about prescribing opioids. It was um, before people realized that Purdue Pharma and these companies had misrepresented Oxycontin and um, a variety of other opioids. And and so, you know, I heard heard, uh, in the article it said, you know, certain doctors were getting uh, like sailboats, cars, you know, lavish vacations and stuff like that. Um, from prescribing more. It was almost like they were salespeople hitting a quota and getting a bonus, yeah. which is not beneficial for anybody in, uh, in, you know, any humans. And if you look at the aftermath of it now, Purdue Pharma is bankrupt. Um, the, you know, and they ki- trying to killed millions and millions of people. You know, there was, I, I, at least I hold them responsible for that. Because the yeah. misinformation and disinformation, you know, go hand in hand. And I feel like they really did a disservice to the world by doing that. But, uh, yeah, so then I'm, yeah. Cu- I'm curious, uh, who was it that, you know, lo- discovered the Ibogaine path and how did that forge? Because here in the States, I, when I've had friends that have done it, they go to Mexico and you guys were able to pull that off in Vancouver, correct? Yeah, that's right. Tyler can probably tell you more about exactly. He was really, Tyler and Nick were the driving force behind this. Um, I didn't really know a lot about any of this, and we learned so much along the way. Um, but at some point, it became very clear to us through research, and Tyler and Nick were doing a lot of that research, that um, psilocybin mushrooms were not going to be um, that effective at combating my opioid dependence. So, um, Tyler, you can probably speak more about how um, I began, uh came into the picture. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was, it was a matter of doing research, but um, we, we kept missing it because not a lot of people even know what Ibogaine or Iboga is. Totally. It's, it's almost like people have heard of ayahuasca and, you know, it's like, oh, is that similar to ayahuasca? And it's like, well, yes, but, and then, you, you know, you explain it, the differences between all the psychedelics. But um, so we kept missing it. It kept uh, not getting on our radar, but, you know, we, we were moving forward. Um, the interesting thing is we we got sort of welcomed into this underground 
community of psychedelic providers in Vancouver. And, you know, these people are very brave and courageous doing what they're doing because it's illegal. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're helping many people, not just Adrienne, but uh, many people with all types of different issues from, you know, just just depression, but not opioid addiction, for example. Um, and, and, you know, obviously all of the above. And so it was um, um, one, one of them, like, as we got introduced into this community, we were kind of like going forward and you could see that they're kind of like sort of assessing what we were doing now, seeing that, oh, they're, they're documenting this journey and they're trying to figure out, is this good or is it bad? Like, what are these people all about as you meet somebody new and uh, get a sense for who they are and what's going on? And, um, you know, you know, basically we, we just uh, got welcome, welcomed into the community and then from there, we got like the the real advice, um, you know, from people that work with this stuff all the time, um, you know, and, and they're helping people from all different backgrounds and and uh, varying degrees of uh, addiction and mental health. So, yeah, it was it was being introduced into the community and then um, sort of, you know, having Iboga and Ibogaine put on the radar specifically for the physical withdrawal symptoms and how it can interrupt with that. Yeah. Um, and it's, as uh, so it was Gareth that told us about that, and then uh, a separate conversation um, that's in the documentary uh, is Trevor says, you know, for Adrienne's particular circumstance, she might have a beautiful experience with some mushrooms, and that'll help with her um, sort of like, you know, mental health, but it's not going to help with the physical withdrawals because one day later, if she doesn't get the opioids, she's going to feel those um, physical withdrawals. Yeah. Yeah. And really like just Nick, just jumping in here. It's, it's incredible that people don't know about Iboga and Ibogaine. And we're even having this conversation because this has been something that's known since the eighties to be the only thing that's capable of, uh, halting of stopping the dependence, the physical dependence to an opioid. Uh, you know, an opioid user needs to use every single day or also have excruciating pain. So that's why they keep, need to keep on using over and over again. And this this one substance actually interrupts that and halts that. It's a total it's a total remarkable drug. And yeah. yet here we are, thirty years later, more than more than that actually, and and people don't know about it. And 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 yet, you know, you're talking a little bit earlier about about how um, you know the, the the things that are legal often are so damaging. Like a lot of psychiatric psychiatric medications are are really proven to not be very effective. Yeah. You know. Everybody knows that alcohol and tobacco are extremely long-term damaging, and yeah. yet they're legal. They're allowed, right? Yeah. And and people are so they, they wring their hands so much, and they're so nervous about oh, like you know, you know, we can't make psychedelics legal because maybe someone would have a bad experience on magic mushrooms, yeah. right? Well, then why why is alcohol legal I, when it creates enormous <laughs> bad experiences all the time and, and so much violence? It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. And I, 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 I don't know if I heard this somewhere or if it's true, but I think it is true that I believe a lot of the pharmaceutical companies did opposition research to put misinformation about ibogaine out there as being very dangerous as a way to like conserve their their image, you know, of of oxycotton. Well, and fe- that's. There's obviously a theory that the pharmaceutical companies and all of the billions of dollars that they have um, would be fighting against all the psychedelics um, for the reason that psychedelics are not addictive. And in many cases, um, you only need to do have one or two experiences, maybe a few experiences with psychedelics, and then you don't need to use them anymore. So you're not hooked on something for the rest of your life. Like getting return customers. Yeah. Yeah. There's no return customers. Right. So uh, it should be acknowledged that magic mushrooms are ranked as um, the safest of all the drugs, um, even safer than aspirin, as far as if you take too much aspirin, you can do a lot of damage and overdose. Yeah. Whereas if you take too many mushrooms, you, you're just going to have, you know, you might have some crazy thoughts, but in a few hours, it'll be okay. Yeah. Um, sorry, just to add to, I do want to um, say that iboga um, is not like magic mushrooms. Iboga can be potentially dangerous. Um 
it does have an effect on the heart and it needs to be administered always with a medical professional. Right. I had to have um, an ECG. Uh, I had to do blood tests. I had a nurse present with me all the time. So w- when we're talking about Ibogo, um, it's a little bit different than uh, mushrooms. Um, it is potentially dangerous and it does need to be administered by um, medical, medical professional. professionals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then so I'll, that's probably... The, Go on. The pharmaceutical companies would take that ball and they just run run with that, right? Because yeah. obviously, if it's done incorrectly um, or there's underlying heart conditions and the people aren't aware of it, uh, it can cause death. Um, very, very rarely and almost never if things are done properly, which is why these medicines need to be legal and safely accessible. Um, in proper supervised settings. And uh, of course, going back to what Nick was saying, alcohol is by far the most destructive and dangerous. And, um, you know, from drinking and driving to long-term liver and other health effects. Um, So, yeah. And it just doesn't make any sense. There's going to be some some naysayers that say, oh, you know, uh, Iboga can be dangerous. We shouldn't let people have it. But how many valid and and necessary and appropriate medical procedures or drugs can be dangerous if not handled correctly? I mean, the list is just, there's so many things that are useful for humanity that can be dangerous if not handled correctly. But if you do handle Iboga correctly, there are no issues. Yeah. You just need to do it with a trained professional. And and I'm so curious to ask you guys, because please don't put anyone at risk here, but like, how hard was it for you guys to, to find out this, you know, sub community and subculture that could help Adrian and then let alone ask, hey, we're making a film about it. Can we film it? Like, I imagine that was nothing short of a coup. Yeah, that was an interesting situation because um, as, as we started this, Nick and I realized that we were not necessary like we were not the most appropriate people to be helping anybody through psychedelic experiences we're not trained in any way we don't know um exactly the best ways to do it and you know you sort of see that in the film it goes from this naive beginning to finally meeting the right people um the interesting thing is like there's there's obviously not a lot of people doing it um and so it was not easy to find but is there like it, a craigslist it, or like a or was it the dark you know I, you don't have to say because i don't i really don't want to put anyone you know at what? Risk. you know you know what like i mean here's here's the thing like these um these people are boldly and courageously doing this they have websites and so if you google yeah. uh and and you're looking for certain keywords um you know and googling around you're gonna find them and, uh, you know, like they're even um, happy to be linked up to our website, dosedmovie.com. So anybody on there, uh, for any of the listeners who want to get more information and potentially, um, you know, have a treatment, they, they can reach out to these people and they can um, have conversations. And there's obviously a bunch of underlying issues to do with legalities and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's as Gareth says right in the film, you know, are, are they going to come and knock someone's door down because they're helping people get off of heroin and guess what heroin is also illegal yeah so adrienne was doing that right yeah people are doing illegal things all the time so this thing and it's on the way hopefully through science and research in the western world to be legal and safely accessible but it's going to take some time but how many people need to suffer and struggle in the yeah. meantime and die and how many people should be dying from opioid overdoses when they could potentially have the right tool to get off of that in a supported setting. That's amazing. And thank you for providing that because addiction is something I talk about a lot on this podcast, which is why I wanted to hear your story, Adrian, and have you guys on. When you were about to do this endeavor, uh, how hard was it, you know, to like, it's, it's one thing to be filmed, you know, suffering and addiction, but then going through something that you've really have no idea how it's going to go. Was that, was there, was there a concern about filming that? Um, I mean, I think I was more concerned just about going through the process. It was very scary. I didn't really know anything about Iboga. And obviously, like I said before, um, you know, the prospect of giving up, you know, my crutch, my way of coping in the world was uh, terrifying. Um, You know, Nick and Tyler and I got 
uh, very close very quickly. So um, having them film was not so much of a concern. They were always very respectful of my boundaries. And we always discussed, you know, what what can we film? What can we not? Um, there was a few things that I asked them not to, um, that I didn't want to be filmed or a few things that I didn't want to necessarily talk about. Um, and they were always very respectful of that. So um, I think it was just the whole process in general was um, terrifying for me. Um, but uh, I don't, and you know, at times I probably thought like, God, I'm so sick of having these guys follow me around being filmed. It, yeah. um, it was definitely a challenging time in my life, but you know, um, we always kept going because I just thought like, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, but like, imagine that, you know, this whole thing works, this whole crazy thing actually works when I get sober. How amazing would that be yeah. to have that documented? And, you know, here we are. And, um, I hope, uh, that this can help and inspire so many people and help spread the word, um, about psychedelics and, um, you know, education around psychedelics. Cause there's a lot of misinformation and um, frankly, people don't really know very much about it at all. And, and Tyler, uh, were, were there times when you were rolling uh, where you just felt like a need to cut, that it was just too intense? Or do you feel like as a filmmaker, you know, and, and Nick, you, you can answer on this too, like it, it was imperative to, to, to capture all of those moments. Or like at what point is, is, was it too much? Or do you think that too much is what makes the story so, you know, when you get to the end of sobriety, it makes it all worth it? Yeah, it, there were times where it was difficult to find the right balance. One thing that we realized, um, you know, early on is that just having cameras and lights involved with psychedelics in general, when you're going to go through a trip like that, it's distracting and not necessarily the best thing. So we were, um, you know, always cognizant of that fact and to make sure that we would withdraw from the filming aspect of it when, um, you know, it was time for the psychedelic therapy to take over and um and then you know just you know there there, there are a few there's there challenging times along the journey as you'll see in the film and there are a few moments where we thought we'd stop filming and um the priority was always number one adrienne's recovery and you know making sure she's safe and making sure you know she gets better and gets all of the right uh, access or treatment, whatever that may be, even if psychedelics didn't work for her. Right. And so when things got challenging, you know, we definitely had talked, uh, on two or three occasions specifically about stopping filming and exactly what that would have meant from a filmmaking perspective just means the film would have been unfinished and shelved and probably nothing to salvage from it. If there's like no, what happened or maybe it would have been like oh we did all this thing and then it didn't work you know for whatever reason and we stopped filming i don't know that that, that'll be a different story and thankfully it didn't go that way you know we take a break um we'd have life goes on when the cameras aren't rolling right and we we'd return to it and you know we thank adrienne for having the courage to allow um everybody into her life to to let that journey continue and be on camera um, yeah. yeah. Kudos. Yeah. And Nick here, it's like, you know, people, people write us and, and they come up to us at like screenings when we're still doing movie screenings before the coronavirus. And they say like, you know, it's, it's, it's very like intimate and raw and yeah. like, real and everything like that. And we get that all the time. And, and the reason for that is, is because it literally was just like fly in the wall observation of just what really happened uh, in a really sort of uncomfortable and um, at times dangerous, unpleasant uh, time, right? So, so it's like, how did we feel when we were filming that? Like kind of awkward sometimes, a little uncomfortable, like not having a great time whatsoever, but there was always a trust and there was always uh, like a level of, um, you know, belief in each other, I think, that this was something that could be very profound for the world. And you always need to check in with Adrienne and with her providers and see like, is this a time, is this one of those times where this is like more filming is, is cannot take place. Right. And there were those times where we put the cameras away. Um, and then, and then that's sort of just how we approached it. And we, we filmed 400 hours. Of oh footage. my God. Wow. Yeah. Um, there are many, many people that we interviewed who have experienced personally with psychedelics. Um, and, you know, also a lot of other experts and other aboga ceremonies and stuff like that. 
And then in the end, um, as things evolved, we realized that Adrienne's journey, because it was from start to finish, um, was, was the journey to go with as opposed to, you know, for example, interviewing people, talking about right. their experiences, um, which is wonderful. Um, you know, but, but now we get to witness somebody go through it from start to finish. And so, yeah, we, we filmed a lot. And, uh, so in, in the documentary, um, even though, you know, we put the cameras away at times, everything that is in there is representative of the journey in, but it's, you're not going to have to watch 400 hours. You just have to watch 84 minutes to understand, you know, what, what it takes and how beneficial psychedelics can be and the challenges and the pitfalls and the safety requirements and all of those things. And, and Tyler, this was your directorial debut, correct? Yes, it was. Wow. And was there, you know, I mean, obviously this is a a very unique film of its own, but were there any influences, you know, I, even if it's like regular filmmakers or documentarians that kind of like influenced your style that you, I mean, you know, it's hard to say that because it's a documentary, but I, I don't think it is. You know, like, was there an aesthetic that you had an idea for for this film? Anyone that influenced you? You know what? Like, I'm, I'm not even going to fake it. Like, no. Wow. <laughs> not really. <laughs> this, was, this was like almost, if I look back on this, if, I, if I'm talking to somebody real, I'm like, this documentary never even should have happened. Um, you know, Nick and I just, started talking about doing documentaries together and and this was our first film together i made a a couple previously and had worked on a couple others that got shelved and never ended up being finished yeah and um you know it's just one of those things that uh it it was nick and i working together and not knowing for for several months like even almost yeah i mean it was it was it was always an uncertainty whether the film would ever be finished um, because nobody would ever know. Like we, we never knew what was going to happen with Adrienne and the journey with psychedelics. Yeah. The obvious thing that's important to show is if they work, Got just it. like how they do in the clinical trials and the percentages of efficacy are really high and all of these things. Like, you know, you want to show something positive. If, if it didn't work out, I guess that's a documentary too. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how inspiring it would be. But, um, I think there was know, there was a Joaquin Phoenix one that's pretty much the opposite of this. I'm still here, you know. But uh, you know, I, I I'm curious when you guys did mm-hmm. this, were were you applying for grants to keep it going? Because 400 hours is a lot of footage. Um, yeah. So we didn't have time to apply for the grant the grants and funding that's available in Canada. Um, I did that on the last documentary I worked on, and it takes many, many, many months, right? So on, on a whim, you know, we're all of a sudden filming Adrienne taking mushrooms for the first time and thinking, well, probably not much is going to happen anyways, and we won't continue filming, and we'll, we'll just start kicking around other documentary ideas. Um, but she had this profound experience that really helped so much with her depression to yeah. send us on this journey. And we realized immediately, because she was in a vulnerable situation using fentanyl-laced heroin street drugs every day that it was dangerous she's playing russian roulette we don't have time to say okay adrian just now you just hang on a second while we apply (laughs) for some grant totally to keep going so we started working around um you know with like with our schedules and our day jobs that type of thing and then it got to the point where it absolutely took over our lives and consumed us and we did a fundraiser and raised some money from a whole bunch of wonderful people that are in support of this cause and realized that a film like this would be beneficial and uh from there you know we we had some other support along the way leading up until now where yeah wow that's amazing. And then Adrian, uh, I'm curious to ask you, you know, you, you did it, you did a couple treatments of, of Ibu, uh, I sorry, Iboga, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And every time, did you feel like it, it, it you know, the next time, like it, it made it better each time? Was it like, is, is there a certain number of like dosages that they recommend or, or, uh, I don't know what the word would be trials or, you know, uh, I guess, you know, uh, you know well, what? it definitely doesn't get any easier with the iboga. I think anyone that's done iboga or ibogaine will tell you that. Um, it's uh, 
definitely a, a very unique um, substance. It's always a very challenging journey, but it's always very worth it. Um, I think I, I did about two or three um, iboga journeys. Um, I was on a quite high dose of um, morphine and heroin at that time. So um, it's a bit of a shock to the system to go completely cold turkey. But um, I would say that considering how much I was on um, being completely clean within three months is uh, quite a feat. Um, but yeah, it was definitely challenging. But uh, even though it was so challenging, like I said, that iboga, it must have some antidepressant properties, like they say, because I just had the motivation and, um, you know, the faith to continue down this road, no matter how uncomfortable or difficult it got. I never in my mind did I question whether I would go back and continue on this journey. Like, I, I just knew that this was what I was going to do, and I was very determined in that respect. And, and yeah, it's like you're talking about how challenging Iboga is. It's like for the for the listener here who is kind of wondering what that's all about, right? You've got to you got to see the film to see kind of what's involved. There's there's intense physical symptoms, there's intense psycho-spiritual like hallucinations. You're like in third perspective, a uh, third person perspective like going back to moments of your life people describe seeing traumas from their from their past and things like that um so it's 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 like the most intense and powerful psychedelic probably from a, a number of perspectives yeah uh, so so yeah that's that's what she means and and i'm curious you know i imagine because obviously of the nature of the illegality of it Insurance companies don't pay for this. So a lot of these institutions that help people, do they have, you know, payment plans in place or, or ways to help, you know, you know, victims of, of addiction that may not have the money to be able to, to go through these treatments and, and get it to them eventually? Or is it kind of like rehab in a way where it's like you need this money in order to, to be able to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um you know, these people that are helping people to get off um, drugs um, or to overcome mental illness perspectives are really heroes. There there wouldn't be a movie like Dosed without these people that are risking their freedoms in a lot of cases and also, uh, you know, go, going against the status quo. And they, they're doing it because they really believe in helping people, at least the people that we've met. I'm sure there's I'm sure not everyone's a, a good apple in this in this field but like the people that we met were also kind and wonderful and if they can if they can sort of modify or, or try to make it work for somebody in some way with payments or whatever i'm sure that they'd be open to talking about it that's great um, yeah i would just like to add unfortunately uh there are financial barriers um because this is illegal and people are doing this underground um and uh, also with iboga, it's a very intense process. Like there needs to be a nurse. There needs to be it's it's a it's not just like a five or six hour trip. It yeah. can be like up to thirty six hours. Um, it has to be supervised. So unfortunately, there are financial barriers, um, and it's not accessible to most people. Um, so I am really hoping to see a shift where this could be, you know, one day covered um, by you know in our in our um, in our medical system. The United States spends $500 million on, um, like, to fight the opioid crisis yeah. each year. And um, actually, I'm sorry, $500 billion, with a B, is the statistic that I had found. And so that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's just the opioid crisis. Um, and, that, and that would be, you know, policing it and, you know, ambulance and doctors and overdoses and, like, everything you can imagine. So if they, if they would just take a little bit of that money and put it towards research, clinical trials, get this thing, you know, then available, like safely available. Um, obviously, every country is going to have their own healthcare system in place, and there's always going to be barriers to entry. But in an ideal world, the government would take care of its citizens, and they, they would pay for it because it would actually save the government and all of the taxpayers money in the end yeah. anyways. So it would be beneficial for everybody, and it would end a lot of suffering and and death. Completely, I totally agree. And, and Adrian, I have to ask you. You know, have you been able, like, the first experience watching, you know, even just a cut of this film? How was that for you? Was that was that hard? You know, I'm. I mean, I'm an actor. I can't even watch my my takes. You know, I I, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like to see yourself in the most vulnerable part of your life documented. Like, was that really hard for you? 
Yes, it was uh, very difficult and challenging. Um, I don't particularly enjoy watching the film. I think these guys did a great job. I've seen it three times now, and it doesn't get any easier. Um, I cry a lot, which isn't a bad thing, but um, it's very difficult to watch. And, yeah, I'm cringing a lot. And, you know, also it brings me back, like, I think it's good for me, too, though, to watch it sometimes. Uh, Sometimes, you know, in recovery, you can forget where you've come from or how hard it was. So it's a good remember one for me, like, what that was actually like. And it reminds me, um, you know, how grateful I am to be where I am today. Um, But I don't think it will ever get easy for me um, to watch the film. Um, And that's okay. Uh, So, yeah, but um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people. So many people have reached out to me to tell me how much um, it's helped them. And that's what's really important. It helped me a lot. It kept me, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, with this COVID thing, I think, you know, the addiction bug, it never goes away. It's a 51-49 battle, and it, it really helped shift it back to the 51 on a day where I was feeling very vulnerable. So thank you guys for that. You know, you're saving a lot of lives out here. And, you know, just final question here. I'm curious, do you guys think, you know, in 12-step, AANA, this, this uh, you know, one-size-fits-all, avoid everything, you know, none of that stuff is should be done to get through it. You just have to do the work and keep showing up. Do you think... Do you think these these you know facilities are going to have to adapt their mantra to kind of deal with the, the new wave and new ways of helping addiction? Um, yeah, well, I definitely think that one size does not fit all. Um, and you know, maybe you know, I know a lot of people that have recovered and seem to be living great lives without psychedelic therapy, and that's fine. And if someone is, you know. Uh, doing fine using um, antidepressants or methadone or whatever, like that is great. I'm not here um, to tell everyone that they need to do psychedelics to do it my way. I just um, know that I've been in recovery, in and out of recovery long enough to know that um, everybody's a little bit different and everybody um, needs something different. And I just want um, all avenues to be available to everyone so that they can, you know, go on their own journey and find out what works for them. Um, and I don't like this whole, like, just pull up your bootstraps and, like, kind of toughen up um, attitude. I don't – I didn't find that helpful for me in my recovery. Um, I needed, you know, love, compassion, support, and I needed to find that within myself. So uh, I find some treatment methods can be sort of shame-based um, and a little bit, like, be authoritarian. And, like, if you're not staying sober, you just you just don't want it bad enough or you're just not doing the work. And, and, and I disagree with that. Um, I think we need to shift. Uh, and I think we are shifting the way we look um, at addiction and addiction treatment. And I think probably in like 10 or 20 years, we're going to look back and see and just say like, wow, I can't believe that we treated um, people in addiction that way. And that was sort of, you know, just like barbaric the way that we treated people. So I think um, times are changing and um, what we've been doing currently is clearly not working for a lot of people. So it's time to change. Yeah. And I just wanted to jump in there and just say that like, you know, it, it means a lot to us that, the film meant a lot to you and that it helped you maybe at a time when you were feeling a little, a little bit low. And I know so many people in the world right now are feeling right now with, with the Corona, with the coronavirus, uh, uh, you know, making people more isolated than ever. Yeah. And uh, I know people are battling with a lot of mental illness and addiction issues in the world, and this might be a really challenging time for them. So we put the film online. We were going to do a theatrical tour. Wow. And, and that we put that, that on hold. It's not the right time for people to be in movie theaters, obviously. So we put the film online at www.dosedmovie.com. It's available now, so hopefully people can uh, can watch the film and and um, learn a little bit about some of the opp- opportunities that there are out there for battling mental illness and addiction. And is you know, given the the fact that it's not able to be in theaters, is there a way that you know I can rally my my audience to to donate to any cause or to you guys and and you know recouping the costs or to any charities that you guys might like? Uh, you know, what 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 can I do to help? Well, I mean, if you just direct people to the website, we do have it hosted. It's video on demand, so you can rent or own it. Okay. And uh, percentage right now, we've already taken the initiative to um, uh, do a percentage of each purchase towards the COVID-19 disaster relief fund. Wow. And that's through, like, uh, World Health Organization, UNF, and CDC. And then... Um, um, Right now, Facebook is matching that dollar for dollar. That's so amazing. That we can, uh, you know, I hate, that. I, I said that's amazing. I usually hate Mark Zuckerberg, but that's great. 
yeah, yeah, you know, so so then they're going to match. They'll match anybody's donation as well. So that's something that uh, anybody can do if they want to donate and help with that. And then once this um, coronavirus has settled down and people can return to a normal way of life, of course, you know, we reflect back on what's normal. Obviously, um, you know, you'll be able to go do all the things. And, and that is so important because humans are social creatures. Um, you know, it, having more disconnection and isolation is not good for uh, mental health for anybody, especially somebody who's already struggling with depression or anxiety and addiction. And so we're always going to be, um, you know, donating, looking for uh, strategic, um, like psychedelic research groups and, um, you know, people that are trying to bring psychedelic medicine uh, through the the process towards legalization and safe access. We're going to, we're going to always try to like um, include them and like do a donation to them like whether it's uh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies or Imperial College London in the UK. Um, there's groups in Australia that are getting studies going as well. So we're going to be talking to all of these groups and uh, do our best to support them as people support us with, uh, you know, just renting or, or purchasing the documentary that, yeah, unfortunately is not in films. We were supposed to be in New York today. Oh, I know. Yeah, I was... and uh, we you know, we got to we got to jump on another interview here. Yeah. But no, know, pro- no thank problem. you so much for looking to rally support for us. Yeah, of course. And if people and- are interested in the film itself and the ongoing marketing and distribution, definitely go to www.dosemovie.com. We do have different ways to, to donate to us. We've got just a donation link as well. And uh, we, we'd always appreciate any help from anybody. Dosemovie.com. Tyler, Nick, and Adrian, thank you so much for your time. I'm eternally grateful, and I'm wishing you all the best, and I hope to meet you in person at the screening one of these days when this is all over with. Yeah, I hope so, too. Thank you so much for your time, and congratulations on your sobriety as well. That's amazing. And you, too. Thank you so much. Keep fighting the fight. All right, much love. Take care. Bye. Bye. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. 